This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Magic and magical people, the unnatural order is all around us. There are white witches, black witches, demons, vamps, werewolves, shapeshifters, ghosts. It's a protoplasmic party of creature features out there. But unless you know where to look, you won't find them. I know where to look. My name is Harry Strange. I sat in a diner in Trails End. It had been a long time since I'd been in Nebraska. My partner, Carmen Strega, thought it would be a good idea if we got out of Night Falls for a while, at least until the heat from the local police cooled. I agreed with her. I had already spent 30 days in the local jail and didn't want to spend another. Carmen went back to Atlanta to follow up on some leads. We had been working on a case of a priest killer until the Night Falls Police Department shot me and my best lead. He died. I was arrested for obstruction of justice, I suppose that technically I'm a bail jumper now. But it was Carmen's money and she knew I was good for it. I didn't have a plan. I just loaded my car and drove. Eventually I wound up here, in Trail's End. This was where my life began all those years ago, and where it ended. It was here that I learned the ways of the unnaturals. You gonna order gray eyes, or are you just gonna stare a hole through the menu? A waffle with bacon, doll. Keep the coffee coming. You got it. Tell me something. Is that jaw as hard as it looks? She was attractive in that way that only a woman who waitresses in a greasy spoon can be attractive. Sort of worldwide wariness that was probably masking the engine of a tigress. Why don't we meet later and we'll both know. What time do you get off? Ooh, bold. I like that. Nine, sweetie. Don't make me wait. I wouldn't dream of it, Emily. I watched her walk away. I wasn't sure if that shake was natural or meant for me. I'd made a mental note to keep an eye on her when she walked. It was research. Yeah, that was it. Research. I waited for a second and then the GPS on my phone returned a map from my current location. Here you go, hon. Waffles and bacon. Syrup? If you touch them, they're probably sweet enough. Really? That's the line you want to play? Does that ever work? Eh, it's hit or miss. You're cute. Tell you what, I'll bring you some syrup just in case. It can never be too sweet. Thank you, Emily. My name is Harry Strange. Harry Strange? Now why doesn't that surprise me? How strange are you, Harry? Really? That's the line you want to play? Fine. As strange as you want to be. Hmm. I like that. Oh, you will. An older couple came in and Emily walked to their table. Her shake was natural. I ate my food and watched the fog from the Missouri thicken and the sky darken. It was 12.30 in the afternoon and the day was as bright as it was going to get. The thunder sounded like a slow rolling bass drum. I enjoyed it. I finished and left a large tip on the table. As I walked out, Emily winked. Don't forget, square jaw. Nine o'clock. As if I would forget a redhead like her, I nodded and watched her walk away. The rain ran down my windshield, leaving little dirty veins of water in its wake. 
I had followed the GPS exactly and was now parked outside Our Lady of Perpetual Sorrow Cemetery. I drove slowly through the stone gates and down the twisting narrow road. The business I had to conduct was somewhere near the cemetery's center. This particular cemetery has been around for centuries. Its name may be Catholic, but according to some legends, this place predated Catholicism by a thousand years. I got out of my car and walked to the second gate. The lock was ancient in the shape of a human skull, protected by spells of both white and black magic. No one could enter without a very special key, like the one I happened to have. I drove my car through the gate. In the rearview mirror, I watched it close slowly behind me. The circular path got tighter with each turn. When the road narrowed such that the Monte Carlo wouldn't fit, I turned off the car and walked towards the center mausoleum. I pulled aside the branches and saw twin eel heads carved into the stone. Those carvings were more than 2,000 years old. This was the place. After some effort, I opened the gate, exposing a stone door that would withstand any of man's most potent weapons. Along the door was a complicated series of engravings. Only the proper sequence could open the door. The improper sequence would trip the protection devices and spells into action. Anyone unfortunate enough to be standing nearby would be blasted into the ether. Of course, I knew the proper sequence. The crypt was wet and moldy, and the smell made the waffles and bacon in my stomach start to crawl out. It took a few minutes, but I was able to persuade them to stay down. There was death here, but the smell underneath the death was worse. Slowly, my eyes started to focus. Along the walls were small plant-like things with veiny stems. The stems were connected with other root systems. Each plant had a pulsating, bulbous center. Some of the stems reached towards me as I walked by, and I got a whiff of something acidic. I wasn't afraid, but I was certain I didn't want those things touching me. I ducked beneath the ones that grew over a passageway and headed down a flight of stairs. The stairs were never-ending, and it took me about five minutes to reach the first landing. Have you ever thought about how many flights of steps you could go down in five minutes? The things on the wall were still here, but... Though their numbers had decreased, their size had increased. The bulbs of the plants were now the size of a baby's head, and some of them were pulling themselves off the wall. They were translucent, and I could see dark veins inside them. I swear, some of those veins seemed to be abominations of human fetuses. It hurt my head to stare at them too long. Physically, I appreciate the light they produced. It was dirty green, casting a death-like color on everything, but it was light. I couldn't imagine what it would be like here in total darkness. I stood at the bottom step of the third landing. The stairs continued on deeper into the earth. I didn't know where they ended, and I didn't want to think about what corruptions were waiting at the bottom of this phantasmic stairwell. I could hear the distant sound of someone or something wailing. Or perhaps that was just my stomach. My dagger of Yago started to vibrate and hum against my hip. I held it in my hand. It was warm and pulsating bright green, a sure sign that unnaturals were about. A tentacle slid out from the door next to me. 
Its gray skin was wet, and a row of suckers were opening and closing around very small but sharp-looking teeth. It hovered above me and then swooped down and grabbed my hat, pulling back into the room from which it came. I followed it. Sitting on the far side of the room was what could be best described as a giant eel. Its head was rounder than an eel's, and it stood more than twice my height. I couldn't count the number of tentacles, but it was easily over twenty. Three of the tentacles came towards me, its tips waved within inches of my face. The suckers on each tentacle opened, exposing two rows of teeth as sharp as broken glass. The suckers closed, and one tentacle touched my face. The smell was bad. Think dead fish on a beach, baking in the sun. The tentacle rubbed my face and pulled back. My old friend. I put my dagger away. This giant eel was Sansovani. We first met a long time ago when he taught me the ways of the unnaturals. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. What could be more unnatural than a giant eel thing? And you'd be right. Sansovani was an unnatural. But he was one of the good guys. An elder unnatural who liked humans. Why are you here, old friend? I'm not myself lately. Things seem to be getting out of control. A couple of unnaturals told me they see dark things around me. Dark things always follow her, champion. It's part of what you are. I sense you've been less than attentive to your tasks. I've been at this game for a long time, Sansevani. I'm tired. A long time? For you, I suppose. You and I don't reckon time the same way. Being tired isn't an option for the favorite. You must be a champion for all. That is your purpose. What if I want to change my purpose? She would be very unhappy with that. And I don't think you want her to be unhappy. <sighs> no. I suppose I don't want her to be unhappy. We sat there in silence for some time. I alone with my thoughts, Sansevani alone with whatever giant eels contemplated when they were alone. He, well, I always assumed Sansevani to be a he. He could have been a she, or both. Or something completely different. Sansevani was almost as old as time. I would think that something that old would be fairly contemplated out by now. Are you ready to receive the lesson? <sighs> the usual fee? Nothing is free. That's why it's called the usual fee. Was that a joke? Sansevani never joked. I took off my jacket, rolled up my sleeve, and extended my arm. One of Sansevani's tentacles inched toward me and hovered above my wrist. I saw the sucker open in the tiny rows of teeth. In a second... This was going to... The effect was immediate. I'm no longer in the necropolis with Sansevani. I was in space, underground, underwater, and in the air at the same time. 
I saw the past flip by like an old out-of-focus movie, sepia-toned and running in slow motion and fast motion. I saw Jake, the gumshoe who gave me my start in the business. First, he was sitting behind his desk, reading a racing form. Next, he was still at his desk, but his head had been torn from his body, blood still pumping from his neck and ever-decreasing pulses. The scene faded and I saw Romeo chase through a mirror as he shaved. On my left side, I saw the construction of the Empire State Building. On my right side, another scene started. The sound of the film projector became almost deafening. Was that Sansovani as what he actually was? I couldn't look for more than a split second because I literally felt my brain backing away from the sight. I was lapsing into madness. The film sped up and I was standing in the primordial ooze. And I was the ooze at the same time. I watched the first Landwalker crawl from it. I closed my eyes. When I opened them again, I saw Maddie, my wife. She was young and beautiful, the way she looked when I first met her. The next time I saw Maddie, it was after the vampire had taken her. She was still beautiful, but it was a darker beauty. Her innocence was gone. I saw her, and I saw me. I plunged the sword of Yarlin into her heart. I felt it, the sword cutting through her skin, muscles, bones. I felt the sword as she would have felt it. My heart simultaneously exploded and broke. The film me cried out, watching the love of my life die at my hand. The real me cried out for having to relive it. I saw the vamp nest. I saw Romeo Chase slicing and cutting, a human in the midst of unnaturals, a Christian among the lions. Except in this case, the Christian was eating the lions and their lunch. It was a bloodbath. When I looked again, I saw Chase's face, covered with blood, his eyes mad with rage. He started to speak in the film cut. A countdown reel of three, two, one, a white number with a second hand sweep cycling through each number. At some point, the film on the left and the film on the right had merged into one surround sound total immersion event. I saw seven stones. They were a deeper red than what seemed normal. Three of the stones fell and were caught in the hand of a beautiful demon. Lilith. She was smiling. It was as if she could see me. On that thought, she turned her face all the way to me and winked. I pulled back and she smiles. Her smile morphed into one stone, which turned into eyes the color of fire. As the camera pulled back, I saw they were in the head of the vamp who had turned my wife. He was laughing. He faded into an abbey where other stones sat embedded in a wall. The stones were the seven stones of Solomon, each stone with its own name. I somehow knew that the holder of all seven stones would have the power of God. The film changed again. This time I was underground with corpses and they were pushing me towards a beast with the body of a spider and the head of a squid. This wasn't a little spider. It stood as tall as I did. Before I could make out any more details, the film switched again. This time I saw Lilith, Maddie, the vamp who turned her, and Carmen. I saw myself floating in a lake. I heard dogs barking and a woman leaning over me. I wasn't sure, but she might have been an angel. I looked back and saw Carmen crying. I saw night falls burning like Rome. I saw Carmen reaching for me and then she burst into flames, her eyes melting in their sockets and her face turning black and charred. She was still reaching for me when she exploded. I was back in the crypt. Sansevani had released my arm. What was that? 
Am I supposed to go after the stones? You are a human. You have free will. That is the gift of the humans and all- Yeah, I know. It's also their curse. I'm a little different though, aren't I? I don't really have a choice. Why show me these visions? Of course you do. You can call her right now and walk away. Your actions will have consequences, of course. All men's actions do. The consequences of your actions will affect more than the average human. But you always have a choice. That doesn't sound like much of a choice to me. But it is a choice nonetheless. Sometimes talking to you is like talking to a giant eel. Does she want me to go after the stones? Perhaps. Attend to this, Harry Strange. Dark days are coming and your race, all races, will be in grave danger. What does that mean? I believe you would say a regime change is coming. No more questions now. It's time for you to go. Know this. When you see her, it will have already begun. Wait. What will have begun? No more! Away from me now! I was standing beside my car, fully clothed. Even my hat was on. I checked where Sansevani had bitten me, and it was just a scar. The rain had stopped. The sky was clear and full of stars. My head hurt, and I was feeling a little trippy. I sat down behind the wheel of my car and turned the engine. Not good. Whew. The last thing I wanted was to get stuck out here. I wanted to head back to my motel and sleep for about a week. Just me and my... Then I remembered Emily. I wasn't in the mood for any companionship, even a hot redhead's. As a rule, though, I never leave a lady waiting. I drove to the diner to see if she would reschedule. I looked around the lot and saw her and that wonderful shake headed towards a yellow pickup truck. Hey, Emily. Look, I'm sorry I'm late. I got a little tied up. Do I know you? It's me, Harry Strange. Hold the syrup because you touched it. Harry? Squarejaw? I didn't recognize you. What, it's been about a year? A year? I waited. You never showed. Too bad. I was really into you that night. I had been in the crypt a year? Excuse me? I'm sorry, a year? It's been a year since... About that. Don't sweat it, Squarejaw. I'm willing to forgive, but not forget. I've always been a flake magnet. I'm not a flake. No. Why should I think that? Look, I've had a long day. Maybe another time. A year. I watched Emily get into a big yellow pickup truck. I should have said something, but I didn't know what to say. I was still trying to process it. I stood next to her truck, speechless. And I am never speechless. She rolled her window down. Nice beard. But it covers the jawline too much. Stay sweet. I felt my face. Sure enough, a beard had grown. And my hair had grown crazy scraggly as well. I suppose it would. I hadn't shaved in a year. I looked in a car window and saw that my beard was long and... gray? What was up with that? What must I smell like? And my clothes? 
I'm surprised Emily even spoke to me. Carmen! She must be out of her mind trying to figure out what happened to me. I had tried calling Carmen on my cell phone, but the battery had gone dead. I suppose after a year it would. I plugged it into my charger and was hoping it would get enough of a signal before I got too far out of Trail's End. There were parts of I-80 where the cell service sucked like an industrial vacuum cleaner. I looked for a payphone, but there weren't many of those around either. More progress, I suppose. I kept feeling my beard. I couldn't believe how long it was. A year gone. Sansevani said he didn't reckon time the way I did. Apparently not. Still no cell battery. Crap. Carmen must have given me up for dead, or worse. I checked my face in the mirror again. A beard. I could get used to it. My view was drawn to something on the side of the road. I was already past it when I realized what it was. In a ditch on the side of the road was a yellow pickup truck, just like Emily's. I shined my flashlight around the truck. There weren't any skid marks, but there was a lot of broken glass. It looked like the truck had rolled a couple of times before landing against a large oak tree. There weren't any dead animals on the ground. That was good. I walked up to the cab and looked inside. The door was closed, but the cab was empty. I pulled a pocketbook from the floorboard and found a wallet inside. My heart went to my throat when I saw Emily's picture on the driver's license. Emily! Emily! I walked around the truck and didn't see anything. All the windows were smashed, but the doors were closed. Things didn't make any sense. I opened her purse again, looking for her cell phone. I felt something wet in the bottom of her purse. When I pulled it out, I dropped it on the ground and jumped back. It was Emily's finger. I looked on the ground again. This time I saw it. Her other finger, pointing east. It was a sign and it was meant for me. Eventually, I found the farmhouse in the middle of a cornfield. I circled the house twice until I found another one of Emily's fingers on the ground. No guards. That meant they were waiting for me. No point in keeping them waiting. I opened the front door and walked in. The house was old and the floor creaked under my feet. The center of the old living room was Emily, tied to a chair. A Nalf demon was standing next to her. Nalfs are big, huge, roughly about the size of a gorilla with the head of a wild boar. As you can imagine, Emily was terrified. Her shirt was torn and looked as if the Nalf had been at her with his claws. She was still breathing and conscious. The Nalf was standing over her, whispering something into her ear. Emily was shaking her head no. Hope I'm not interrupting anything. Squarejaw! Shut up, human garbage! Ow! Strange. It's about time you got here. I was wondering if you were smart enough to follow the signs. Please. A child could have followed your signs. Why not just put a flare out next time? Okay, so here I am. Let's let the redhead go and you and I can talk. They kept asking me about the favorite. They came out of nowhere. They, oh my god, they bit off my fingers. No fear, sweet thing. I have your fingers right here. We can probably get them reattached. Let her go. She has nothing to do with this. I said... Ugh! I grabbed the Nalf's arm and twisted it behind his back before he had a chance to slap Emily again. I said she has nothing to do with this. She's an innocent. Release her. We know she's your partner. 
She's been sniffing around here for a year. Oh, great. There's more of you. Did you guys all fly in together on Demon Air? Let him go, Strange, or I will grind her bones to ash while you watch. Harry, what's happening? I'm so sorry, Emily. This is all my fault. I released the Nalf. He turned and slapped me across my face, drawing blood. I'm going to enjoy hurting you, Strange. Nalf leader, call off your pet or I'll send him back to hell in a thimble. You don't scare me, favorite. My name will be sung throughout eternity as the demon who brought you home. I wouldn't do that if I were you. The Nalf, stepping forward, his jagged clawed hands up in the air, swung them down towards me. His lust for my soul was so great he ignored the dagger of Yago until it was buried to the hilt in his chest. His expression went from one of rage to surprise to fear to knowledge. Oh no! Bye bye When you kill a demon, you shift him out of existence. The blackness of his soul explodes outwards in a mist of red and black flakes accompanied by the most horrific smell you can imagine. Sulfur, brimstone, and rotting milk. There's no coming back for a demon killed by weapon or exorcism. They're gone, absorbed into the dark matter of reality. I held the dagger at my side and walked to Emily. Her eyes were wide and she pulled back when I reached out to touch her. Who are you? What are you? You know full well he is the favorite of the angel Gabriella, a scourge among my kind and many of your kind. Wait, wait! I've got it now. You think she's my partner. Easy mistake to make, though, big guy. Listen, I just met her, well, a year or so ago. She's an innocent. My partner's a witch. Very confusing, I know. So what do you say we let her go? Not even a please? Most humans who want something from me ask while they're on their knees. Not that it matters. You're the favorite. And you have been a pain in my nether regions for years. First you led Lilith to the stones. Then you interfered with my priest killer. Ha! I knew it wasn't Finkel acting alone. You were feeding him lies about those priests. You wanted him to collect their eyeballs. You were taking advantage of his fragile mind. But why? Why kill the priests? Because they are priests and I am a demon. No, I, I got that. Big, ugly, smell like brimstone, that part is clear. But why priests? I am not some half-breed demon who will just start divulging my plan. I am a lord in my realm, and I am known by many names. But you will call me Ugonar and bow before me. Yeah, I'm not much on bowing. Bad back. Let her go, Ugonar. She's done no harm, and she certainly is not my partner. I will make a deal with you. You tell me why you're the favorite, and I won't pull her eyes out through her nose. Uganar walked over to the other side of Emily while we were talking. Poor Emily couldn't figure out if she was more afraid of me or Uganar. After a second, she decided him and moved as close to me as her bonds would allow. The remaining two demons inched closer to me. My hand tightened around the dagger. Uganar still wasn't close enough for a killing slash. You know, Strange... I could do so much more damage to her with magic, but there is something so sensual about feeling her 
quiver when I run my claws down her cheek. Look at how easy her skin splits under my touch. Her blood slowly seeping to the top of her flesh. He put his finger in the gash on her cheek and scooped out some blood on the end of it, the way you or I would stick our finger in a cherry pie. Your voice is starting to annoy me. He put his finger to his lips, and as he shushed her, her lips melted together. Her screams muffled. Stop it. I'll tell you. Sorry. Time's up. I was out of time, and he was out of reach. He was running his claw up the other side of her cheek, a trail of red following behind. He reached her eye. I swung over with the dagger, and the other two Nalf demons jumped for me. Uganar moved back, but not before I was able to slice a chunk of demon flesh from his face. There was a flash of blinding light from the door, and all the demons screamed. Even after I closed my eyes, the light was still there. I started swinging, connecting with something a couple of times. When I opened my eyes, the light was like the afterglow from a camera flash. As the light faded, I saw an angel standing in front of me. Slowly, she came into focus. Only, she wasn't an angel. She was better. Carmen, is it really you? Harry? Harry! She ran to me and gave me a hug and a kiss that seemed more like a lover than a partner. Then she slapped me. Hard. What was that for? I've been looking for you for a year. A year! I didn't know what happened to you. I thought you were dead. I looked around the room. Uganar was gone. One of the demons was gone. And the other was frozen in place. Emily was still in the chair, her eyes closed and lips sealed shut. What happened? Oh, a little science, a little magic, you know. I traced you to Trail's End, and I've been here looking for you since. I found these guys about six months ago, and I've been watching them. This is a very magical place. Tell me about it. Where's Luganar? Well, he must have bailed when I released the light of Kershagot. You took out the other demon. You were swinging that dagger pretty wildly. I'm amazed you didn't hack your little ginger friend. That last demon? He must be a half-breed because he's in a state of stasis, as is Red. They'll both come out of it shortly. How come you're not affected by it? Hey, you, pighead. I need you to remove the magic on Emily. Why would I do that, meatbag? Because if you don't, I'll cut out your eyes and fill the sockets with holy water. <gasps> what about the gashes on her face? I can only undo our magic, not the human-like violence. I pulled a very special gun from my pocket. This gun didn't fire bullets because bullets wouldn't have any effect on a demon. But this gun fired something that would have a serious effect. Oh! Holy water. Tell me about the priests, and don't tell me about the religious thing. When he didn't answer fast enough, I squirted him again. His skin cracked a little, and I saw a red, pulsating vein underneath. I can do this all day. The stones! The most righteous priests guard the stones. There is a war coming, strange, and the winner will be the ones who possess the stones. The Nalf plan to win this war. But why kill the priests? Harry, time's almost up. 
The light of Kershagat only protects us for so long, and your ginger friend is going to need medical attention. Fine. Listen to me, brimstone sucker. Tell your nouse that they can go after all the stones they want. But if they ever harm an innocent that I know, I'll come to your realm with a super soaker filled with holy water. Got it? You're a dead man, favorite. You will spend an eternity with my kind. We will pull your flesh off every day and allow it to grow back at night. Ow! If I had a dollar for every time a demon threatened to pull off my skin... Harry, we need to go. I set fire to the farmhouse and we took Emily back to my car. We were almost to the hospital when she started screaming. Who are you people? Please, just let me out of the car. I won't tell anyone. Pigheads, favorites, they bit off my fingers. Emily, it's okay. We're on your side. You're the reason this happened. Stay away from me. Why did you ever come into my restaurant? Emily, I'm so sorry. I never expected anything like this to happen. My fingers, my god, they bit off my fingers. They cut my face, they lips, my lips are melted. What are you? My life. They said they were going to do horrible things to me, to my family, and I didn't know what to do, and I was just so upset. I'm so Carmen worked some kind of acupressure magic, and Emily fell into a fitful sleep. We found a hospital. Carmen went in while I got Emily out of the car and into a wheelchair. In all the commotion of the ER people getting Emily, Carmen was able to slip away and get into the car. The last thing we needed was questions from the local PD, and there would be questions. When we pull out of the lot, I saw a nurse looking around. No doubt she was trying to find Carmen. We drove a little way in silence. So did you fly out here or drive? Drive? From Night Falls? I don't think so. I flew. I see. Delta or Broomstick? Ha ha. Delta, smartass. Drive you back? That'll be fine. You are going to shave that beard, right? Tonight's episode, Harry Strange 108, San Savani, was written and directed by Tony Serechia and produced by Brent Ahern. All material is copyright by Tony Serechia and used with his permission. Featured in tonight's cast were Kellen Stennett, Christine Cole, Jason Tyler, Casey Morgan, Paul Rothschild, and Sylvia Galan. Harry's theme music was written and performed by Lance Hogan and is copyright by Lance Hogan and used with his permission. Contact Lance at his email, h-a-u-g-a-n-l at yahoo.com. Incidental music was written and performed by Kevin McLeod and is copyright by Kevin McLeod and used with his permission. Visit incompetech.com for more of Kevin's music. Visit harrystrange.com to keep up with the latest news and information on everyone's favorite private investigator. Send your questions, comments, and suggestions to producer at harrystrange.com. For the Harry Strange Radio Drama, I'm Joanne Pruden. Good night. The Apocalypse is coming, May 14th, 2011. Visit treetopquartet.com. D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y Dromedary Cigarettes The smoke with only one hum Friends, have you tried new, improved dromedary cigarettes? Smokers all over the country are singing the praises of D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R-Y Dromedary Cigarettes The smoke with only one hump Ask a dromedary smoker and he'll tell you that dromedaries are a light smoke, easy on the draw and easy on the throat. Here's one now. Sir, 
Sir, are you a dromedary smoker? Yes. I smoke between two and three packs of dromedary a day, and I find them to be very easy on the draw and easy on my throat. And how long have you been smoking dromedary, sir? Since I was 16 years old. Well, the makers of dromedary cigarettes thank you for your many faithful years of business, sir. And how old are you now? Seventeen. <coughs> Remember, friends, dromedary cigarettes are easy on the draw, easy on the throat, and not a cough in a cartoon. Sorry, that's carton. Dromedary cigarettes, the smoke with only one hump. Not a cough in a cartoon. That's carton. D-R-O-M-E-D-A-R